Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Falk, and I am joined today by Maureen Lewis. Maureen is an academic advisor for Marquette Athletics. Maureen brings 18 years of experience in Division I sports to the table. She has worked the endless finals nights, probably edited thousands of papers, and has been on countless bus rides, plane rides, road trips, tournaments, and championships, all to help get kids through the semester. She is a woman of many talents, and I promise you she has so many helpful insights and advice that all of us can walk away from this podcast and feel like we learned something. So Maureen, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. This is fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So Maureen and I have known each other for a little over 12 years now. We actually met each other late at night when she joined us in, a, in Washington, D.C. on a road trip where we played Georgetown and the rest was history. During our time together at Marquette, um, we, deemed, we were deemed the Mo and Low show. <laughs> when we traveled together and we did, we would always do academic advising while I did treatments in our hotel room. So we were just kind of the duo that stuck together. So um, Maureen, again, thank you for joining us. And why don't you, just for everyone out there, why don't you just start with telling us how in the world did you get into college academic advising? Yeah, great question. Um, I actually had a different career before this because um, I'm older than you think, but uh, <laughs> I worked for 18 years in advertising and marketing at an advertising agency and marketing firm. And in that job, in that capacity, I taught classes at Marquette in their College of Communications. Um, and I taught the intro to advertising class and the capstone class and the creative campaigns class. So I had a lot of people who were or a lot of students in my class were advertising majors in I taught in the spring of 2003 and in my class were some members of the men's basketball team and their managerial staff like their student managers and in 2003 the Marquette basketball team went to the final four so that group of guys was missing a tremendous amount of class and I was working with their academic advisor who was a one-man show his name was Tom Ford, and he's the man who hired me. Uh, but I was he's a working, legend, by the way. <laughs> a legend for sure. I was working with him to keep them caught up while they were on the road and make sure that they still got credit for the class. Um, and this was in, before technology, and so we were pretty creative in how we got stuff done. Um, but they would come back and speak to the class about, you know, game day experience and how marketing worked for the Final Four and all kinds of insights that I think the class really benefited from having these student athletes and student managers in the class. And when the semester was over, I called Tom and just said, I'm really impressed. I didn't even know that academic support existed at this level. And I'm so pleased that they were able to adjust and graduate and still get something out of this class. 
and he's like, hey, if you are looking at a career change ever, you'd be great because you understand both sides of this and we're gonna have a position open in June. So I waited for the position. To, um, I applied for it along with a lot of other people. I interviewed for the job and was hired and started in the fall of 2003. Wow, I don't even think I knew the ins and outs of that story. <laughs> so it was a career change. Um, I think it's helpful. It was helpful to the position that I had the background of teaching for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I certainly knew the Marquette culture that way. So that was, was really helpful. And that I'm pretty much of a nerd also came through sort of loud and clear. So in my position were division one athletes back when they were in undergrad. So when I go to professional development classes and um, conferences, people are always like, what sport did you play in college? I'm like, oh my gosh, I was the nerdiest. <laughs> Being an athlete, just a nerd. That's amazing. So, okay, so you're there now, and obviously this is a change for you, but maybe help everyone understand what is it that you do? It's a pretty broad spectrum. Help us understand what is college academic advising in the athletic department like? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a job a lot of people don't know exists, which is pretty cool because it's just um, sort of under the radar. And I want to circle back and talk to, talk to you a little bit about like some of the other jobs that exist in an athletics organization in college. But um, my job exists as an academic advisor at every Division One institution. Um, Primarily, our job is to work pretty closely with our compliance department to make sure kids are eligible from an academic standpoint. So our student athletes meet all the requirements set by the NCAA to be able to set foot on the court or the field or the, um, wherever they're playing their sport um, each semester. So there's a couple of things that have to fall into place. They have to have a certain number of credits complete. They have to be enrolled in a certain number of credits. They have to have a certain GPA and those credits need to be a percentage of their degree complete every semester. So you can't just take random classes in order to play your sport. And that's true for everybody from like the water polo team to the football team. Like every single person is held to the same standard as far as progress toward degree. And that is because of the NCA commitment to graduate student athletes. So ideally, we want your graduation semester to be the same semester that you complete your eligibility um, so that it all ends at once. It's a disservice if we say, okay, you're done with your sport, but you still have like another year or two of school. And that's why those rules are in place. So we meet with our kids um, to select their classes, to make sure that they are progressing toward degree, not just taking random classes, that they have their prerequisites in place and that they can balance their schedule with their practice and travel commitments. So sometimes a sport like um, soccer or lacrosse where one semester you're in season and one semester is not your championship season. Um, so like for soccer, you're in season and it's your championship season in the fall. You might take a different kind of course load than you did in the spring when you're not traveling and competing as much. Um, so sometimes we lighten one semester to heavy up another one. Um, it's, there's not a recipe. I don't have like a, a way that I tell kids to do it. I need to get to know them. I listened to your podcast with Charlie and he's such a good example because he was like, put me in all the science classes during season because those don't stress me out and I don't need any more stress while I'm in season. Please don't put me in a course where I have to write papers 
during season because that just causes me anxiety. And I was like, okay, I wouldn't have known that. And so that's what we did. I mean, that's what his college career looked like. So everybody's different. And it's mostly working closely with me to make sure, or whoever your advisor is, to make sure that you're successful. And if it's not working for whatever reason, what can we move around and not compromise eligibility? We use summer school to lighten the load. I mean, it's just a moving math problem, like a story problem that changes all the time. So we're in pretty constant communication. So I help you select classes and then I'll make sure that you're staying up with the work and that it's working for you during the whole semester. And I travel with the teams, um, which right now that's not happening, but typically I travel with teams so I can proctor exams on the road and get them back to the teachers. Um, we have study hall on the road because stuff is still due. Um, we have academics on the bus. I mean, <laughs> we're academic all the time. You saw it happen, you know. Yeah. So my job is to create the academic um, environment where, during travel as well as offer support when we're back on campus. And then technology is my friend uh, because we can, you know, set up Zoom meetings and FaceTime with tutors or Skype and get support when we're on the road. So if somebody's like, oh my gosh, I have this chemistry pre-lab due and I don't know where to begin. I'm like, well, I wouldn't know that either. Um, but I can get you with the chemistry tutor and then make that happen. Yeah, so it really has helped enhance that academic environment surrounding those kids kind of 24 seven. You know, I feel like the way that things have evolved even the last 10, 15 years of academic advising plus the use of technology has just really helped them stay more involved in that for every time that they're away or, you know, just kind of making that a more fluid situation for their learning and things like that. Yeah. I'm so impressed with like the amount of multitasking that they do of, you know, um, first of all, you have to be able to read on the bus. Like, <laughs> It's like, oh, I can't read on the bus. I'm like, that's, you're going to need to learn how to do that because I just don't know how we're going to make this work otherwise. Uh, they do work on the bus. I mean, all of them load in and put their equipment underneath and then bring their backpack up on the bus and you just see kids on their laptop or reading and doing academic work because you can't waste that time. Mm -hmm. You were always the one with the traveling hotspot so everyone could log into their computers and do their work. Everyone wanted to sit by me. I used to think I was popular and then I figured out they just wanted a hotspot code. <laughs> hey, whatever makes you popular. Right. Come on up, sit by me. Yeah, I mean, you listen to all these things that you do and Charlie even alluded to the long hours that it is for an athlete in terms of, you know, getting up in the morning. Sometimes you have, you know, a lift, you go to class, you have training room, you have all these things going on, then you have academics on top of it. So really, he talked about it being really long days. Would you say that that's a fair statement for your life as an academic advisor as well? Yeah, I mean, you saw it firsthand when we traveled together, but it is during season, during the semester, it's a, it's a pretty demanding schedule. Um, if even on days that I'm not traveling with teams, if I'm, if a team is leaving town and I'm not traveling with them, I may for the bus so I can return those exams. So let's just say you have a nine o'clock class and there's a test. You need to get with me then at 6.30 in the morning and take that exam. So I have time to give it to you and you have time to get your stuff and get on the bus. You leave, go compete, and I go turn. The person that needs to win in all this isn't just the student athlete. It's also the teacher. We can't ask them to accommodate us at any 
level other than that what they're comfortable looking at we'll do that even if it's at 6 30 in the morning like it would have been way easier for me to give that one thursday night but we she wanted it taken friday morning so we take it friday morning so you work with the teachers to find that we run where all the tutors are located is open um, until 10 p.m sunday through thursday um, so it's staffed so we work at least one team most of my student athletes um, even in the off season because they're in school during the day and then they're practicing. So the evening is, those are prime hours. Absolutely, that's the, that's the uh, burning the midnight oil is extremely common in college. And especially for those that are supporting it, you know, we, we run different hours than most. Yeah, for sure. And then I think like when you and I were traveling together, we had, because we were both in school too. So student athletes saw us studying like after we finished everything else we were doing for the day. Yeah, I, I felt like we could ask them to do that. Absolutely. So we're going to take a few steps back here. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, I think it's very interesting for them to understand kind of what our side of this was to support them. But now we're going to take a few steps back and kind of get a year or two ahead of college first. So let's just talk about, um, let's talk more directly to our current high school kids, our kind of maybe our juniors, our seniors who are listening out there. From your experience, seeing hundreds, if not thousands of freshman athletes come in over the years, what are some words of advice that you might have um, let's say to those high school junior and seniors as they're getting ready for college, whether it's to play sports or not, what are some things that they should think about in terms of looking at their academic planning and their scheduling um, to be prepared going into college? That's a great question um, because there's tons of high school athletes and just hats off to all of them because they're doing what they love and not all of them are going to do it in college. So if you are being recruited to be a college athlete, um, you need to work closely with your guidance counselor in high school. Uh, so that they know that that is your plan and through the clearinghouse like your high school transcript um, and your test scores and all that kind of stuff and your guidance counselor can totally help you with that a lot of kids who play sport at high school athletes some of them play for like a club team or an odp team or they've found a coach through a camp and were recruited that way so your high school coach is a great your guidance counselor is going to be a person that guides you to make sure that you have all your paperwork turned into the ncaa clearinghouse because it's a little bit different than just a regular college application. Um, so it's just, we look at recruited athletes as somebody who can contribute to the team's outcome. So my job, it truly says this in my job, uh, just the same, and I can't have favorites. And that just makes me laugh, but um, because I definitely have favorites, but while I leave, that might be a different story. But uh, we look at your grades from high school. I don't have anything to do with admissions, but admissions at the university will look at your grade. So were you taking academically rigorous classes? Um, you don't want to just coast through your senior year and you have to have the 22 credit. Um, so you want to show that you can balance school and sport. That's just really important. If you were taking a lot of easy classes your senior year, then we start to worry about, can you really? And then we also look at where were you a leader and like what kind of person are you bringing us? Uh, so not just like were you a team captain and things like that, but in your community, did you do outreach to beyond? Because we ask a lot of our student athletes and we want them to already be comfortable with being community stewards and being role models to others. So however that looks, however you structure that experience. So I feel like I get, you know, you get a lot of kids that are in their senior year and they say, oh, I just want to take all the easy classes. You know, I've worked hard. What do you say to that kid that says, oh, I'm just going to take an easy semester or two and just coast? I still really encourage them to balance athletics and academics so that you can show that you can balance an academically rigorous schedule with athletic class or two. Or if your high school offers dual enrollment, 
where you're taking a college level class in high school so that you get high school credit for it and college credit for it, which is advanced placement, or IB, which is the International Baccalaureate Program, or dual enrollment. So those are the three ways that you could bring credits from high school to college. Um, those are important because when we're talking about your progress, do you have complete? So if you come in with credits from high school, you set yourself up for success right away. Um, big, big picture planning. There was a group of guys from us who all wanted to graduate in three and a half years with the idea that they might go pro. And that's really hard to graduate in three and a half years so that you're ready for the draft in January. What helped them all, except one guy who didn't have any of these, what helped all of them was that they had some AP credits in the bank. The other ones just worked really hard themselves ahead. But if that's your plan, like me as your academic advisor, knowing that your freshman year, I want to go in the draft is huge because then I'm going to make sure you're done with school in December of your senior year instead of May. And then you can't roll. That's really unusual. But understanding that that kind of plan exists is super important. So every credit counts. That's the answer. I think that's a great answer. So a lot of these kids in high school, you know, there are a lot of kids that play sports in high school, no matter what. And many would love to play in college but not all go on to play in college and or beyond college, you know, into higher level sports. However, a lot of kids grew up building a passion surrounding athletics. What is some of your advice to those kids who may not be able to actively play in college, but still want to be involved in athletics or follow their passion? I think there's so much room for passionate people in athletics don't even know exists. Like athletics is a business. Um, and I, that's really the only way to call it. It's a business. There's money, there's finances, there's travel, there's um, work areas have staff. So we have a marketing team that, you know, promotes the upcoming games and matches and does all of our um, works with our season ticket holders and works with game day to make sure that people who attend a game have a great outcome. Um, only one team is ever a champion and only one team wins every day. So you still want your fans to have a great to loses. And that's what fan engagement does is like keep that energy level high and keep fans engaged. And they also um, do a lot of fundraising outside of season. So if you're like a really dynamic person who connects with other people really well, fan engagement and fundraising is critically important. Um, we have a sports information team who, I mean, very basically runs our website. So puts our news stories on the website, works with news outlets to give interviews with student athletes, um, writes all the sports athletes' profiles, uh, manages our social media. I mean, anything that's informative that has to do with the team, sports information runs. That's actually a pretty big team of people. Uh, we also have compliance officers that make sure that we're in line with the rules for the NCAA. Um, some of them have a legal background, some of them have a marketing background. Um, but they know the NCA rules and make sure that we meet them. So that's a, another area. And then we have an administrative staff that runs the operation, you know, um, make sure the facilities are up to par, um, work security. Um, and we have a ticketing staff that works with season ticket holders and also with student tickets and with day of ticket sales. Um, and packages for like grade schools to come in and see a basketball game, things like that. So they all interlink, but our staff is about 130 people and we're a medium sized school. And I didn't even mention coaches or strength and conditioning or sports medicine in there, which are the careers that most people think of with sports. So we're a big organization, even without, even beyond the coaching staff. So if you're interested in, 
athletics as a potential career, I would jump on a website of a college that you're interested in and just see how many jobs are there. And even on top of that, are there students that are involved in the athletics department right now that are not currently athletes as well? Yeah, this is a great opportunity. Um, all those departments that I mentioned, like ticketing, sports information, marketing, game day, fan engagement, they all have interns during the um, championship season that help them work. And those interns are students from the university. Some are student athletes, which is really great because it's hard for a student athlete to hold a job uh, or to find a job that works around their hours. But many, many, many of them are just regular students mm -hmm. who are interning in those positions to find out more about that kind of work. When I and think of also managers, sorry, we have managers, like there's a lot of student managers for the yeah, team. That um, do just a lot of the operational stuff, like make sure all the equipment is there, they do the laundry. Um, they travel with the team. Um, hand out the documentation, make sure everybody is um, checked in for every event, that the person who's listed on the roster or is in the starting lineup is the right person and they're wearing the right jersey. Like, just the details of it. Um, put the spikes on the shoes so that you're running with the right spikes, depending on what the ground is for the track meet. Um, all kinds of just the details of making stuff happen. Those are student managers. That's a paid position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we even had, um, I'm thinking about Eric, who supported men's soccer, where he did a lot of our filming and tactical breakdowns. And actually, he actually now does that as a career now with Ford FC Madison. Um, but, you know, he even had a very critical role within our coaching staff. Yeah, Eric was unusual in that he had that skill set and could break down film like that. I remember sitting next to him on the bus and just being like, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. Um, so if you have that skill set or that technology um, in your wheelhouse, that's great. Uh, we don't usually ask our managers to work at that level, but when somebody like that is in the manager capacity, that gives the team more resources. And if you look at like how far did the team go in the postseason when their manager was super involved like that, it's a pretty direct correlation. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a great point that even if you're not necessarily playing a sport, there's still opportunities to be involved in sport or look at the potential for a career within sport, um, which is always good to keep in mind. Cause I think oftentimes kids go through that change of like being an athlete in high school with so much your identity. And then if all of a sudden you're not playing in college that you, you feel that shift that I think it's good for people to know that there are ways for you to not lose that part of your identity, but shift it's your, your approach a little bit and still get to experience that on some level. And even, even my job is um, like, if you're just super organized and a little bit nerdy and um, can understand like what the student athlete experience would be like, Every Division One program has academic advisors, and the math is usually one academic advisor per 100 student athletes. So we have 334 student athletes at Marquette, and we have four full-time advisors. So that's a pretty normal balance. Yeah. Um, and, the, and then we always have a grad assistant, so that's a great way to just learn about, like, 
um, the operations of it inside of an academic um, advising opportunity for student athletes is through grad school as well. And a great way to get your education paid for. That's how yeah. I did my first job at Louisville was that I was a graduate assistant athletic trainer. So for those of you out there who don't know what that is, basically you work essentially full time opposite of your class schedule, but basically your form of payment is often having your tuition covered for your master's degree while you're doing this job. So again, a great way to be involved in athletics, maybe get some financial benefit from it and continue to grow your career in on that angle as well. Yeah, I think if you want to work in athletics, the, the pathways are, there's many, many different ones, but they're available. Absolutely. So now kind of stepping to talk directly to those kids who are committed to um, an athletics team, to a college, you know, and they are kind of wrapping up that final year. Are there things that they should be aware of in making kind of getting past those final hurdles, getting ready to in that senior year, bridging that gap to getting into college? Yeah, again, I would say work with your guidance counselor in high school to make sure that all your paperwork is going through the NCAA clearinghouse uh, and your coach to your high school coach if you're being recruited through your high school coach. Uh, they're pretty critical to that. I would say finish strong. Um, it does make a difference to see, did somebody finish strong or did they just coast to the finish? Because we, we like driven competitive people in D1 athletics. So we do look at that. Now you're gonna be accepted to your university before you finish high school. So could you coast to the finish? Maybe, um, but we would encourage you to do your best work. Uh, just because it'll benefit you in the long run, especially if you're taking a dual enrollment or an AP or an IB course where you're getting college credit, please don't coast to the finish on those. Finish strong. Yeah. Good words of advice, that's for <laughs> sure. So now, taking a step forward, freshman year, they all come in shiny and brand new. <laughs> what are some of those common mistakes or misconceptions that you commonly see happen in that freshman year? And what is your advice to those incoming freshmen as they embark on their new journey in college? Um, well, I just finished freshman orientation for our incoming group right now. Um, it's just a great time. So many things are ahead of you. It's exciting. I think the biggest challenge is asking for help. Because if you are accepted to the university that you applied for and you are on a D1 team, you pretty much have it going on. Like you're already smart enough to be there and you're already organized and you're already driven. So you have all the tools. And when we in academic support are sitting here and saying, we're here to help you, let us know if you need help. Kids will tell us, I'm fine, I'm fine, I've got this, I'm fine. And some of them are pretty bold and say, I don't need you. And we just are like, be right here when you change your mind. <laughs> uh, and I will just, tell you that your first college exam will probably kick your butt. And that's why there's more than one exam. Um, the first one is where you really learn like, wow, I did not study correctly, or I didn't think multiple choice would be that hard, or it was more in depth than I thought, or they didn't cover that in class. That must've been in the reading I just skimmed over and didn't read in depth. Um, 
all kinds of things come up after that first exam. So it's not unusual for us to see kids get their first um, exam score that might be a C or lower. Um, grades that they didn't get. About a D. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Charlie talked about this, which I thought was really brave. Um, because usually what'll happen is kids get their first exam back and we ask them how they did, um, like how to go. And they usually say, it was all right. And then we'll ask a few more questions and we might find out what the actual score was. Uh, and then we might say, Hey, you know what? You didn't even see a tutor on that. You didn't come to the group review session. Um, we have all these things in place that are free for you to use. Maybe give that a try before the next exam. And we get a little bit pushy about it. Like, okay, you tried that without any of our um, interventions. How about trying it with some help from us? Even though I know you don't need help and I know you're super smart, but let's try to bring this exam score up. Um, most classes have four exams, so we have time to straighten that out, but not a lot of time. So I think that first four weeks of school are pretty critical because that's where they try to figure it out on their own, maybe find out they could use a little extra help, get a little bit brave about asking for help, and then set themselves up for success. So we don't judge. We, I actually have a you cannot freak me out policy. You cannot freak me out. And, um, and you can tell me whatever your test score is, and I've probably heard it before. So let's go. Let's just get it done. So you got off to a bumpy start. Let's fix it. Um, and then that leads to other discussions. Like maybe it's hard to balance this while you're in season, especially if you were in a fall sport and you had a bad test score. So maybe we need to move some harder classes to your non-competitive season. So it just starts a lot of dialogue. But I would say we start out with feeling like they don't need us and we build relationships quickly. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I um you know, there's always going to be hurdles coming in as a freshman because it's a new learning situation. It's the bar has been raised, you know, and I think especially, you know, we saw it a lot at Marquette. Marquette pulls in a lot of really good students. You take a lot of really good students that were at the top of their class in one place. Now you throw them all into one big bowl and there's always going to be a top and a bottom again, you know, and that's a very eye-opening experience yeah. to and then if you're traveling class and your classmates are not you're going to get hit by that grading curve like the math is just not going to work in your favor unless you're super prepared and that's our job is to help you be super prepared so it's natural for people to tell us that they don't need us and i get that and i think the road back to like hey can you help me is a brave one it's those are hard conversations to have also marquette is private and jesuit and so you're required to take a theology and a philosophy class. And those are topics that most kids didn't have in high school um, who are athletes because our population is a little bit different than the university as a whole. But the university pulls very heavily from high schools that did have theology every single day in high school. So your classmates in your theology class might have had theology every day for the last 12 years, and you've never had it. You are plenty smart, but they are already ahead of you. Mm -hmm. So probably you want a theology tutor. It's good advice, absolutely. So just kind of looking at the body of work of the four to five years that a kid is on campus, what does that academic experience look like for them? So kind of 
you know, everyone kind of, especially high school kids, they look back at, at, or they're looking in at college sports and oh, this is great. I'm going to play this sport. You know, I'm going to have four to five years. What does that picture really look like in terms of the work that goes into that four to five years? Um, you know, obviously we know from a sporting perspective that it's that day-to-day practice, preparation, all the above, but what does that big picture look like academically? It's a little bit different for everyone, but really generally freshman year is a lot of of exploration. So it's like figuring out how to go to college, figuring out like what classes you like, what classes are like, whoo, I don't want to take that again. Um, how you study, how you excel, how you prepare. Sophomore year, you start taking classes that are in your field, generally speaking. We have some majors where you might take a class in your major freshman year, but usually freshman year is a little bit more general. Um, You might have like an introduction to engineering or an introduction to business in an accounting class, but if those are your majors, but um, you don't get specific till sophomore year. At the end of your sophomore year, you need need to declare a major, and then that's the degree you're seeking. Uh, You can do it before then, but a lot of times you haven't even taken those classes yet, so like, just give it a minute. Uh, And then you're gonna take classes that are in your major, and your class sizes will get smaller. Like freshman year, you might have 20 or 30 kids in a class. By the time you're a senior, you might only have like 15 or 18 kids in the class, because you're really specific, you're in your major classes. Uh, so generally speaking, that's how it, how it plays out. Um, every major is a little bit different in how it's structured, but by your senior year, usually your schedule is all classes in your major. Like you've already taken your literature class and your history class and your foreign language if it's required and whatever else is necessary and you are in classes in your major. And then that's really important because your teachers are really great resources. They probably worked in that profession or they have contacts in that profession they should know your name they can help you make connections you might get an internship um, so your exploration looks a little bit more focused interesting yeah it's and like you said every kid's path is somewhat different and i even think about like some of our athletes that go into like the allied health science fields and things like that that you know maybe they're in nursing or physical therapy where or even education, like teaching, you know, you're going to go through the bulk of your academic work. And then nearing the end, you have a lot of that practical work that has to get done um, and things like that. So everyone's path is different in terms of what that picture plays out to be. Right. That experiential learning, um, like having a teaching co-op or um, doing a practicum or doing clinicals, that's going to come a little bit later in your career. And we need to balance that with your athletics if you're still competing. So For me, it becomes a little bit tighter of a story problem, and that's why it's really critical that I work closely with the student-athletes to make sure, like, if you're doing clinicals, we need to make sure that doesn't compete with travel and competition, and how do we structure that? Mm -hmm. So we're always thinking, like, one or two semesters ahead of, like, how can we make this whole thing work in a big picture? And eventually, the student-athletes think that way, too. Absolutely. Now we talked about this with Charlie when he, and we just kind of talked about this a little bit. So, you know, he talked about how his first two grades came back terrible, you know, and that's always a blow to anyone's soul, you know, cause you really want to start on the right foot and things like that. And I think, you know, a lot of times too, with 
the concept of being an athlete, everyone thinks you're really good at everything you do, you know? And sometimes it's hard to, like you said, sometimes it's even hard to like admit that that first grade did not go well, you know? And so let's say, you know, we set out on this path. It just isn't going great. And I really think this holds true whether you're an athlete or not, and you're kind of struggling. What do you do? Well, I like to, um, I like to see kids with my own eyeballs because I can usually tell, like, are you okay? So I love the fact that we have an in-person study hall and that we're there till 10 at night because if it's just a text of me saying, hey, how's it going? I might just get a thumbs up texted back. And that doesn't tell me enough. But if I see you and you're struggling, um, or my colleagues and I talk about, like, if you're crying in the bathroom, I'm probably going to ask you what's up. So we spend a lot of time together and being able to see you and just see like, you know what, you don't look like you're having the greatest time right now. You look stressed or at the end of your rope or whatever it is. And that can sometimes open the door to discussions. So I think building trust is huge just because they see that we're with them all the time. Like we're on the road with you. We're on the bus with you. We are in the study hall till 10 PM. We are going to be there at six 30 in the morning giving exams. Like we are walking this walk. So when I ask you how you're doing, you can probably tell me because I probably already know. Um, I think it's just hard to talk about something being difficult when for the most time, you, most of your life, you've been a pretty gifted athlete and things have come fairly easily to you. So Sometimes it's hard to say this, I might be in the wrong major, or this isn't what I thought it would be. And those are hard discussions, but um, that's where exploration starts, is by saying, what else is out there? Mm -hmm. And we do this all the time. So for me, the best endorsement is the current student athletes telling the freshmen, she's okay, you can tell her whatever you want. Like, I can tell them all day, I'm right here if you need me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, lady, whatever. Um, but somebody else on the team saying, you should talk to Mo, is a great applied, implied endorsement because they already did it and their teammates trust them. Mm -hmm. So I rely a lot on our juniors and seniors to reach out to the freshmen and sophomores and just say, hey, if this isn't what you want, you should talk to Mo. She can totally help. And they see them in a different light. They see them in the locker rooms and way more than I do. So we actually look to our team leadership to reach out to their people who might need a little extra hand and direct them our way. And you also, if I remember correctly, there's a handful of, especially like within the athletic department, academics, but I'm sure even in standard student academics as well, like we have a lot of older students who will then come and tutor classes that they were good at. Um, yeah. that's a kind of that yeah. resource. Yeah. We have peer tutoring. Um, we've moved away from that a little bit. Uh, the whole COVID pandemic kind of made us reassess what we were doing, but, um, we've moved away from that a little bit, but we do still have peer tutoring. And I think that's really important for somebody to have a tutor who took those classes, like at the same time when they were freshmen and can help balance it. We also have a mentor program where we match incoming freshmen with a junior or senior in their major who's not on their team mm. and then you can talk to that person like that person reaches out to you and touches base with you like every two weeks 
just saying, here's what I did. Here's how I prepped for, I know your chemistry and biology tests are coming in the same week. Here's how to break down your study time. Here's what worked for me. And hearing from a peer, like I just said, is that implied endorsement of this could work. So it's powerful. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, I think the, the summary of the story is make friends with your academic advisor. <laughs> like Charlie said, you had his wholehearted endorsement. And I think seek out resources, you know, whether you are in athletics or not seek out resources because just having a go at it at your own, I mean, can you do that? Sure. But, you know, I think colleges have become that much more aware of creating those resources, whether it's through the professor, the TA, other kids in your class, people who have been there before you that, you know, don't think that you need to show the world you can do this by yourself because that's not the purpose of all of this. Are you maybe the one that's your name is on the test or your name is on the paper? Sure. But it could be, you know, it's a test of utilizing everything around you to make yourself stronger, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And I think that then when things are not going well, you already have a network of people who know like you're a hard worker and you're what your work ethic is and what you're capable of. And they can help you out through over the bumps. And what do you tell your kids about talking to their professors? Oh my gosh. Your professor should know who you are. Um, not because you fall asleep in class. <laughs> we talk a lot about that. And not because um, you're just sitting in the front row wearing your gear and you're on your phone all the time. So <laughs> we give you gear, which is, you know, clothing that says Marquette University Athletics on it. Mm -hmm. So you're pretty identi identifiable anyway. So you're representing all the time. And so you just need to be at the highest level. Um, your teacher should know, like, hi, I'm on the women's soccer team and we're traveling this week to Butler and I'll let you know Monday how the, what the outcome was, but I'm going to miss school Friday and I'll stay in touch. And then on Monday when you come back to class, you'll be like, hi, we beat Butler. It was so exciting. This weekend we're going to Creighton. Um, and here's my paper that's due or whatever it is. So they know what your life looks like. We also are like, you know what? You should probably invite your teachers to your game so they can do your thing and understand what you're doing. Um, most of our teachers are really happy to have athletes in class because athletes are overachievers. And because we all in my department have been doing this for a long time. Like I've been here 18 years. My boss has been here 18 years. One colleague, this is her 11th year, and the other colleague, this is her fifth year. So most of the teachers know us, and they know what we're doing. And if somebody was, like, falling asleep in class all the time or something, they might call us and say, hey, I'm a little worried about Lauren because she's fallen asleep the last two days in class. And then I would talk to you about, like, what's up, yeah, girl? Like, are you not sleeping or what's happening? But at the same time, I mean, sometimes um, – you got up at 6 a.m. and you did a lift and you ran to the lake and you came back and you have a 9 a.m. class and it's um, the teacher lowers the lights and does a little slideshow and that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. So we're pretty honest about it. We're like, you know what you need to do? You need to bring some Starburst to class and because you can't fall asleep if you're eating something and um, it takes a while to eat those. So <laughs> try to help yourself out. It takes the time to unwrap the paper and you got to chew it and keeps you awake for the whole presentation. Right. Like, please do not have that happen. It's hard. Hard. Like we understand what you're doing and so do the teachers. So 
it's just be honest with them. I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to one girl who went to her teacher after class and she's like, I fell asleep in class and missed the last part of the lecture. Can I come to your office hours after I do the reading and see if there's anything I need a little bit of clarity on? And the teacher called me and was like, I totally appreciate that she didn't even fake like what happened. Like, yep. Sometimes that happens. We don't want it to, but we're running pretty hard sometimes. Yeah. Well, you and I have both taught classes and I think a good rule of thumb for any incoming or current student to know is a professor would much appreciate honesty. Like just say I messed up and I want to come work with you and take care of it versus create this long line story of what we think, what you think we want to hear because we can largely see right through it anyways. Yeah. And then stuff will happen that we need to intervene on. Um, travel is probably the biggest bump in our road and you know it could be that <clears throat> you had a game on wednesday and you're going to fly back wednesday night and you're going to be there thursday morning for your exam like that's how it looks on paper and wednesday night some freak storm came through and your flight got canceled and you are not going to be there mm -hmm. at 8 a.m on thursday morning to take your exam and you are in an airport in new york and you're probably gonna spend the night there and, or maybe a hotel nearby. And so is your whole team and everybody's freaking out because they have class the next day and their teacher expects them to be there. So that's where we, in my job, would intervene and we would send a like kind of an official sounding email to the teacher saying, hey, unexpected situation with this storm, we're delayed coming out of New York, we're gonna be back at this and such a time and I, the academic advisor, will contact you about the exam they missed and we will make it up that day and get it back to you. So that way the teacher's not hearing from like four different kids in the class and here's what happened and four different freaking out emails. They're getting one that's professionally written that has a solution in it and gives the credibility of like, yeah, I'm with this team too and we're in the airport and we're not coming home tonight. So it's you know, there's, there's going to be unforeseen circumstances that arise. And then we also have athletes who compete in sports that we don't know when they're coming back. I mean, you and I talk a lot about soccer because that's where, our, um, that's where we spent time together, but tennis tournaments, you stay till you lose golf tournaments, you stay till you lose. So we really don't know when they're coming back. We hope they stay away for a long time. And then even in championship um, tournaments for basketball, volleyball, um, soccer, you stay till you lose. So you could be gone for two days or three days or five days. So we have to be prepared and your teacher should already understand what you're doing. That shouldn't be the first time that they find out that you're on the team. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's very true. So we talk about all this communication with professors. So this is actually probably a great segue. So some might think, academics and sports medicine are they even related i don't even know and i'm gonna be the very first person that says yes absolutely a hundred percent they are related you know there's so many different instances you know you're talking about instances of travel but there's so many instances of injury and illness and surgery and you name it and athletes need support for all of that from their academic advisors so maureen i want you to share a little bit about how your position has helped supported some of the sports medicine needs of your student athletes. Yeah, my first person that I'll go to if I'm worried about a student is sports med. 
um, 100%. First of all, they're going to see them more than I do. So I might only see somebody once or twice a week. Sports med, your trainer's going to see you at every practice. Um, if you're rehabbing from an injury, they're going to spend a lot of time with you and get to know your whole life story. Uh, so we do work in conjunction. If somebody is injured um, and won't be traveling with the team, we reach out to them in different ways just because that's, there's a lot of mental health issues. Like I could do a whole different thing on mental health, but there's a lot of mental health issues that come with being injured. It might change your graduation date. Um, if it's a season ending injury, it might change your identity. If it's a career ending injury, um, or it just might slow you down a little bit, especially if you got injured out of season. And so there's not, like I said, there's not a recipe of how we handle these things, but we are very aware that this person's going through something enormous and we need to be there in a more complete way for them and reach out to them a little bit more. Um, if somebody's having a surgery, I would certainly alert their teachers. There's a lot of HIPAA laws that fall into place. Like I can't tell teachers exactly what's happening, but I could say, um, Lauren's a member of the women's soccer team and she's going to be having surgery on Thursday and she is anticipated to return to campus the next Wednesday. We will keep you alerted. And then we would just alert the teachers if everything went smoothly or if like, oh, Lauren's still on some painkillers. She's going to go to class, but she's not really retaining a whole lot of stuff right now. And yeah, um, alert them of what's happening. And the kid can actually advocate for themselves too. But sometimes that's difficult when you're on crutches and it's um, winter and you're a little depressed anyway. And you're like, the last person I want to talk to about all this is my teacher. So that's where your academic advisor can run some interference and just say, hey, this is what's going on. We're, we're supporting this person the best we can. And just please give them a little extra attention or care or consideration. Um, I think probably more than um, surgery, the bigger one is concussion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, just because you don't, you're not on crutches, <laughs> you look like you might be fine, and you're not quite fine. So we do a pretty intense, like I've seen this change just in the years that I've been um, in academic advising and athletics. Our, our concussion screening is pretty intense, uh, like we're doing it right now for our fall sports, and it takes about 45 minutes a kid just to get a baseline, uh, and then that's where we need you to be. So if you ever can't function at that baseline, um, we're going to be concerned. So there's a lot just to make sure that that concussion health is something that we're addressing. If you get a concussion, um, the first person that's going to find out about it outside of your coach and your trainer is your academic advisor, because step one is usually to not go to school. Yes, cognitive rest. <laughs> right. So it's cognitive rest, which means you're not reading, you're not on your phone, you're not doing an online class, you're not... Um, writing a paper, you shouldn't be on your phone at all, or your laptop, or your TV, or your iPad, or whatever. Um, no screens, dark room. And then get assessed every day to see like when you can start back with those activities. You can't return to the field or practice until you return to the classroom. So there's a lot of focus on cognitively, are you able to go back to the classroom? And then how much did you retain? How much did you miss? How much are you able to take in right now? Sometimes concussion means we're going to drop a class. Like if you were concussed in the middle of the semester and you're carrying five classes, 
we need to have a discussion about like, can you realistically be successful in all of them knowing that you just had this concussion incident or can we drop one of them, save the other four and take one over the summer and catch ourselves up? So it could change your school schedule. And those are hard discussions to have just because kids want to be like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can do it. And so sometimes I'm like, I'm going to bring your trainer in just cause we're going to all three talk about like why that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we partner on those really big, really big ones. And if it's a, if it's a career ending, like if you have a series of concussions and you're no longer able to play your sport, um, I'm involved in those discussions, but so is mental health. Mm-hmm, absolutely. One part of what's interesting that people may not understand with concussion um, management and return is that, you know, academic performance is actually a measure of how your brain is healing as well. We will sometimes see people where all of a sudden their grades just drop off, or sometimes there's oftentimes um, courses that require a lot of um, not like rogue memorization. I mean, cause there's not a lot of classes in college that are rogue memorization anymore, but stuff like math or things like that, where you have that cognitive processing. And all of a sudden you see that like you're having a harder time maintaining that ability to keep those things fresh in your mind, or maybe test performance goes down. You know, that can also be a, um, something that follows concussion that, you know, hopefully with that open line of communication, the professors communicating with you, you're kind of seeing their grades coming through the line, things like that, that we can also see those telltale signs because when we do like a really um, thorough neuropsych eval, if someone has had a significant concussion, academic performance is part of their assessment on that. And I can think about one person too, in specific, one of our center backs who had a very significant head injury we were in your office with him and looking through his notes and he even noticed that like he was writing words and then all of a sudden it was like written gibberish right next to it because yeah, he didn't know it. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't know what he was writing or all of a sudden he realized that he had zoned out or things like that, that, you know, that academic performance and that ability to express those cognitive abilities is actually extremely important and it's all part of that recovery process. Yeah. I mean, brain is pretty fascinating and can recover, but it just needs time and gentle care. And I always tell kids, you know, this is factory original material and we cannot replace it. You have got to, it's just like sitting there in a little bowl of jello. You've got to take good care here. And I know there's like way more science to it than sitting there in a little bowl of jello, but um, that's sort of the beginning of it. Uh, But I would say that Part of why it's important to have good academic standing is because if injury or concussion happens, one of the ways your teacher might accommodate you is to say, well, you know what, you don't have to take that exam then. Um, We'll just average the grades of the exams you already have. Mm -hmm. Or like that might be a solution. Um, Or drop the lowest exam score. And so the teacher might say, well, that'll just be the exam that you drop. Now, that might not have been your plan. Remember, if you, in your very first exam, you got a C, and then you got a B on the next one, and a B on the next one, and here comes your fourth exam, and you're feeling really good about it, and you get concussed, and you can't take it, then that becomes the exam you drop, and you need to live with that one way back at the beginning that you took. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have, to be in good academic standing. I had a student athlete who got concussed in a spring soccer game the week before finals, which I don't even know why we were playing that late, but we were. 
and um, his letter that I got from the doctor, I kept for a really long time. I actually might still have it. And it said he's unable to learn new material or recall material he's already learned. And um, so that's what I sent to the teachers. Like, here's where we are. What do you want me to do about final exams? And they said he can keep the grade he already has in the class. Now, if you have a A, which he did, that's great. But if you were waiting for your final exams to bring your grades up, and that was your whole plan for academic success, your concussion set you back mm -hmm. academically. So that's the hard time things to have. Yeah, the argument for starting strong and staying strong through your semester yep. pays off because you never know what's going to happen. Right. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, that I can't say how many times we've seen that play out. So, again, there's so many reasons why to always try to be strong in your academic performance and lay, um, lean on that help um, at all times um, to be as successful as you can be. So, <clears throat> when you just kind of give your kids, the preview of the year, what are the few like key tips that you tell them that they need to keep in mind to just have a successful academic experience um, and succeed in their academics? Um, I think it's to report back to me in real time. Like, you know, come see me all the time. See me at least once a week. Let me know what's up. Um, communicate, communicate, communicate. You can't freak me out. Be organized. I'm, Every single semester that I've been at Marquette, somebody has missed an exam or a final exam because they wrote it down on the wrong day in their planner. I'm like, are you <laughs> like we have got to be organized. Yeah. Um, know when things are due, work ahead. Your teacher should know who you are, ask for help. And basically, if you don't know what's going on, say, I am lost right now. And you can say that to me and I'll be like, all right, let's figure it out. And I would rather have somebody to say, this is the best. Okay. I had a student athlete come in my office once and she said, everybody else seems to know what they're doing. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And I was like, thank you. That's so brave. Let's figure it out. I'm like, first of all, I think they're all faking it at a pretty high level because they're all freshmen too. And nobody came in here knowing this stuff, but also, Let's start at the beginning. Let's see how organized you are. Let's see what's due next week. Let's feel good about what's happening right now mm -hmm. and break it down instead of a whole semester. Like, let's just look at this week. And then at the end of the week, let's look at next week. And then if we can do that 16 times, we're going to get through the semester. And to me, that was one of the best ways to phrase it of like, how come everybody else seems to look like they've got it together? And I don't feel like I do. Yeah. Was a really brave way to say it. Absolutely. And like you said, it's about being brave. You know, college is going to make you uncomfortable um, because that's part of the goal of it. You know, it's supposed to challenge you. It's supposed to push you. It's going to make you uncomfortable. And I think it's about, you know, doing those things to build in your systems and be brave to kind of rise to that challenge and use those things around you to help you do it. Yeah, I think that all of these systems are in place to help support you. And if you just say, can I get a little help? You're going to get help. Absolutely. I mean, that, and I think that's part two. Sometimes people are afraid of their professors or things like that. And what they don't really realize is that when a kid comes in, you know, kind of being very honest and saying, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? I don't think I've ever come across a professor that has said no. Right. You know, and part of it's important. You know what, 
are actually the customer here and you need to get what you signed up for. So if you're confused, go in and say, I did the reading and I'm confused. Please don't go in and say, I didn't do the reading. Can you tell me what I missed? Okay, that's a good point. You still have to show you did the work. That's going to work. But if you say, all right, I did the reading. I tried the practice problems. I got a 40 on the practice quiz. I'm concerned. I'm not, I'm missing something here. Can you help me? You're going to get help. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about all this, you know, obviously there's a lot of physical preparation aspects to being an athlete. There's a lot of the academic preparations that they do, but there's also a lot of emotional experiences. You talked about that. Like you see the person that's crying in the bathroom. Hey, what's going on? There's a lot of emotional experiences that go on with, you know, the challenges and stresses of being in college alone, nevertheless, being an athlete. Um, and this is a little bit of a teaser for our upcoming podcast, but Maureen, talk to us a little bit about like the mental health, mental and emotional health experiences of the athlete. And just so someone can understand, you know, what is maybe coming their way as they're entering this next phase of life. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think a lot of it's really normal, but it's also really difficult. Like you just, if you're a freshman, you just came from, um, being a leader on a championship team, probably your team won a championship. Um, you were probably a team captain. You probably scored the game winner or, you know, had the clean sheet or whatever it is. You were well known. Everyone knew your name. Um, you're one of the few people out of your high school signing a national letter of intent to play a D1 sport. You're a big deal. And you get to college and we're like, ooh, can you tell me your name again? And we're getting to know a hundred freshmen all at once. So it's hard. It's hard for us too. Uh, you're not going to get playing time. You're going to be a bench warmer for a little bit. Um, you're going to carry the equipment. You might have teammates from high school who are playing at a D two or D three or NAI program and are getting more playing time than you. Um, that's hard. It's hard. Um, so we address that. We actually have a leadership institution that we want to hear about your leadership experiences and what you can bring to Marquette. And we encourage our freshmen to be in that because you're able to lead. You're just not leading right now because there's seniors and juniors and sophomores ahead of you, but we know you can do it. So if you want to work on leadership development, we have this six week voluntary course you can take with us. Um, most of the kids through that end up being team leaders, not all. Um, sometimes coaches recommend it for kids, but usually kids, um, apply for it themselves. So we want to hear about your leadership opportunity or your leadership experience and what the opportunities look like at Marquette. Uh, so we do some outreach on that end just because we know that's a really hard transition and you might be far from home um, and your team might lose and you've never lost or you've never been on a team that was struggling. Um, just, you're playing at a high level. Uh, it's hard. And then in your second year, coach is going to start recruiting for your position <laughs> for kids who are three years younger than you. We're going to replace you. <laughs> right. So it's just, it's kind of a complicated, weird transition. And we get that. Um, we work really hard to try to normalize that and talk about it. Like we're not going to pretend it's not happening. That's a thing. Uh, and we're going to talk about what's difficult and that it's this year we don't have a fall break just because when you and I are talking right now, we're just coming back from the COVID pandemic, but um, which is still underway, but we're still adjusting schedules. Normally there's a fall break and kids go home like 
eight weeks into the school year and see their families again. Not athletes. Mm-hmm. They don't go home and they're, they're competing or they're traveling. Um, and that's just hard. You're away from home for a long time. And we address that. And we try to do fun things and build a little family of um, Marquette athletes and do other stuff to keep you engaged. But it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, we hired a full-time sports psychologist who's been doing a lot of work with just like dealing with uncertainty and anxiety that comes from being a D1 athlete, especially in a pandemic. Um, we've also had some pretty high profile sports, um, people who are involved in our sports program, most notably would be Marcus Howard from our men's basketball team who talked really openly about using a sports performance coach, um, and working on mental health. We have a mental health peer group, um, that does outreach to each other, particularly around injury. So I alluded to that a little bit at the beginning that if you're injured, we're probably going to have somebody show up who, um, We'll walk to class with you or carry your stuff or help you find an elevator uh, because our elevators are not all that easy to find because all of our buildings are historic, which just really means they're old. And um, so sometimes it's hard to get around if you're on crutches, but we have a group of people called the Ready Squad that will come and um, walk to class with you or show you where all that is. They'll also unloft your bed. So our beds in the dorms are lofted, so it's like two top bunks next to each other desk is underneath but if you're injured that's just like not a good way to get into bed and if you're on crutches and stuff the last thing you want to do is like try to bring that down to the ground yourself so the ready squad will come and unloft your bed that's awesome i know it's just like so great but they're also trained to have like discussions with you because they might be the first person you're seeing after you got back to your dorm from surgery and so they're going to ask you like do you need me to get you anything from the cafeteria do you need me to walk to class with you um, who's hanging out with you this weekend while your team travels and you're not traveling. Um, and they're athletes, they're student athletes. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's just really great peer support. And I'm really proud of that group. Um, they invented themselves. They saw the need, they invented themselves. I just facilitated it, but we spoke to the big East about the ready squad and at a, shared best practices meeting two years ago and all the Big East schools have adopted it now. So I'm really proud of just peer support in the area of injury and mental health because it's a big deal as a student athlete, especially if it changes your graduation date. Um, like if you lose a season because of it. And so you were with this one cohort and they're going to move on and you're now you're a redshirt sophomore. And now you're looking behind you being like, Oh gosh, I have to make friends over here with these people who are behind me all the time. Cause now they're my cohort. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from that is mental health struggles are normal. Everybody has them. We're all human and you know, you don't have to hide it because it's become, like you said, Marcus Howard has been extremely outspoken about it, which I think is, has really empowered a lot of athletes to be more vocal about it. And I think without going too much further into our upcoming podcast, you know, <laughs> the, the theme of what you're saying is talk to somebody about it. You know, right. Right. You're not probably the biggest. Um, I look at my colleagues at Providence who started a whole campaign called You're Never Alone in Friartown, and we all model after that. Like, we have best practices that we share in the Big East. Even though we're competitive, we all understand we're doing sort of the same thing. Um, so it's that idea. There's just tons of people around you who can help. And we also get the idea that you're a student athlete and that you are mentally tough. Like, you are competing at the highest level of collegiate sports mental toughness is a thing 
so is anxiety and depression and sadness and all the other stuff that comes with it. You're not just a one trick pony. So we try to see the whole person. Absolutely. So stay tuned for that upcoming podcast because for anyone, yeah, athlete or not, uh, you know, adult or youth, it doesn't matter. These are all important subjects to hear about and learn about because um, it's a growing area of interest and people have been a lot more vocal about, especially during COVID and the anxiety that it has brought for people. It is coming to the forefront and it is important for you to learn about how you can take care of your mental health all the time. So with that, we are going to break out into our lightning round. So these are questions that I know that Maureen doesn't. Oh boy. <laughs> and I'm going to split these because we're going to do two podcasts. So you have another lightning round coming soon. <laughs> so in, in the theme of COVID, Maureen has become quite the media superstar here. She is no longer just Maureen academic advisor extraordinaire. She has had her picture all over, I think almost even national media during COVID. So why don't you tell people about how you made your, uh, your uh, media debut there? Yeah, this has been the most unbelievable uh, chain of events. But when we first had the Safer at Home order, which was back in March, I invited my neighbors on my street to join me in the street to exercise each morning. And we live in kind of a rural community, so our houses are far apart. Uh, so I just put a note in everybody's mailbox and I was like, hey, I'm gonna be in the street at 8 a.m. I live in the middle of the block. You can see me from your driveway. Come on out if you wanna just do some simple exercises. And I was really surprised that a lot of people came out, like five or six, so not a huge number, but a number of people came out. And we did this every morning. And my daughter, who um, graduated from Marquette last year, was sheltering in place with us for the at the beginning of COVID. And so she put it on her Instagram stories uh, one day. And she just filmed us on her phone and put it on her Instagram stories. And one of her friends is a reporter for the local Milwaukee Journal Sentinel newspaper here. And they asked if they could do a story on us. So then a reporter came out. I'm like, sure. You can do a story. That's fine. So a reporter came out. Well, then the local television station picked it up and they asked if they could send a camera crew and have us on the news. And we were like, sure, come on out to our morning street exercise group. This is crazy. And the next thing I know is that the newspaper article got picked up in USA Today. And so it did go national. And um, then it was like a in a top 50 things to do during COVID list on Yahoo Sports. Like, oh my gosh, I would see my picture like on websites and stuff. It was, that was crazy. Then NBC Sports called me because um, they had picked it up from uh, USA Today and also from a friend of mine who um, was a reporter at Marquette. Uh, she had tipped this guy at NBC Sports that she knew me and that he should talk to me. So I ended up doing an interview with Jack Collinsworth, who's Chris Collinsworth's son, for um, NBC Sports that was during the beginning of COVID when there was no sports going on. And I just feel like people were super hungry for anything that was positive news and people being sort of fit. So that's what happened. It surfaced again in June with like the 
top things to do at home this summer. Um, so that story keeps popping up, but we're still going just so you know, we still exercise in the street every day at 8 a.m. That's fantastic. Taking all those things that we did together on our, on our, uh, road trips together. Probably. A fitness instructor. I am not an elite athlete. I can just, but I'll tell you the ladies on my street right now, we got some single leg strength going on. That's now that is a proud point for me. Let me tell you, Maureen knows I say running every step when you run is a single leg squat. You got to be really, really good at them. Yeah. And I just remember you telling me like at all, everything's in your glutes. It's all your glutes. I actually remember getting on the bus once and the soccer coach uh, slammed his finger in the door and he's like, "Lo, I hurt my finger. And you were like, it's your glutes. Just strengthen your glutes. It'll fix everything. You're good. <laughs> I have a sign that says, may your glutes be stronger than your coffee. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so media superstar Maureen, fitness extraordinaire. <laughs> um, so next question, favorite city or sporting event that you traveled to with a Marquette sports team? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know, there was a time when I was running distance, and so I really enjoyed running on other campuses and seeing them. And with soccer, we traveled in the fall, and almost every campus is pretty in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't really say like these were pretty campuses all the time, but I will say that UConn is a beautiful campus. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised at Michigan State how pretty it was. Mm -hmm. Those yep. are probably probably some of my top two as far as just like running through them and how pretty they were because it's different than an urban campus where I work. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that I got lost in Syracuse after an eight mile run. So that was a little bit scary because I didn't have any GPS with me, but I made it back. So success. Um, and that out for a run with coach Bodie at UConn and we got turned around and we had to ask for directions from somebody who was commuting to work. So yeah. Um, <laughs> somehow we make it work um as far as like I, there's things that I, i've been able to do through athletics that allow the student athletes to have an experience that they wouldn't have otherwise and one of those is going to new york city where i've been many times because my job takes me there but every year that i go with the track and field team somebody is seeing new york city for the first time and to be with somebody while they're seeing new york city for the first time is it's just really an exciting time and exciting moment. And they're, they're just awestruck. And it's so great that athletics can offer that experience. And I also like that athletics allows experiences like somebody has never flown on a plane before. And now they're doing that because they're a student athlete. And so we're opening doors and windows for them through their athletics experience. I also remember a student athlete who came to Marquette and, um, we just went down to the lakefront on a, for a team picnic or something. And he looked out over Lake Michigan and I was like, what are you thinking? And he said, I have never seen a lake where you can't see the other side. Mm. I'm like, yeah, see athletics opens this experience up. So I'm, I'm just pleased we get to travel as much as we do. And there is the patented Maureen uh, audio guided tour of Washington, D.C. Oh, my God. Washington, D.C. is probably my favorite place um, because I have family there. Yeah. But, yeah, I, would, I had to just, like, lobby the coach to let us go on a bus downtown because he wanted everyone to rest before the game. I'm like, they're not going to rest. 
so we went on a we did take the bus and we went and saw a couple of the monuments and um and then they did not win that game and he told me it was because they went downtown <laughs> but that's not why anyway um i love why showing that to somebody for the first time is also exciting we also were there one halloween um, just because it's fall and that's what happens. And we stayed in a hotel across the street or across the river from Georgetown. From the Keystone. Game day the next day. And um, so we were all in the, a bunch of us went up to the top of the hotel that had a big penthouse, like outdoor space and just watched people coming up out of the um, subway station to go to parties in Georgetown, all in full costume. And it was just like really great people watching. There's never a dull moment when you're on the road, that is for sure. Right. All right, next question. Classic finals treat that you bring in for the long study nights. What's the Maureen patented treat? That oh, yeah, we got that. Um, we do feed the kids a lot just because, and especially during finals week, nobody has any food at home and they're all done and they're just ready to leave. So we try to feed them. We um, actually provide meals during finals week because we can. Um, so like we'll serve soup or stew or chili or something like that um, to everybody. But then we also bring in snacks during the week. And so I love to bake. It's what I do when I'm like have any free time, downtime. And I can make these bars that taste just like Reese's peanut butter cups. Mm. And so that is what I bring in. And everybody um, always asks me like, what dare you bring them? I want to make sure I'm in the study hall. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. I love it. <clears throat> so outside of all of the things that Maureen does, she also is quite the blogger. Uh, we'll be sure to share that with you. But, you know, if you haven't read her blogs, you really should. I read them and I sit there thinking, wow, I really need to remember this so I could be a better person in the world. <laughs> or I learn parenting tips from her. Or, I, you know, I, she writes about things that just open your eyes in so many different ways. She often writes about her experiences in her work and life which are super interesting so the question is when's the book contract coming out <laughs> wouldn't that be great that's a dream um actually when you asked me about my favorite place that i've traveled to for sport before the, you completed the sentence or the question and said with marquette um i did one time write a blog piece about being a cleveland indians fan which i am and i sent it to the Cleveland Indians uh, head offices. And I'm like, you probably should give me tickets to the World Series game. Oh, yeah. And we did. <laughs> so. It's a powerful blog. <laughs> write something really compelling and then just say, look how much I love you guys. You should probably give me tickets to the World Series game. It could actually happen. That was a crazy turn of events. So that's on. Um, but I did write something. I did write something about the seasons abruptly ending last spring. Um, that for me, sometimes writing is just like the best way to process my own emotions. And that was such an emotional time to say, we're canceling everything. All outdoor sports are canceled. All spring sports are canceled. Your season's over before it begins for outdoor track and field. It's over mid season for lacrosse, basketball, no March madness, uh, no, no bracketology, no NCAA tournament. Um, it was just a really rough time and sent all the kids home. We moved to college online in no time flat. And that was just, it was a traumatic loss. And the best way for me to process it personally was to write about it. 
but that essay, um, that really took off. Yeah. And I was surprised how much traction that got. That was reprinted in a number of different places. So it's nice when I know I'm hitting a nerve with something that other people identify with what I've written. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I actually, because there's a comment about the mullet growing hair and how that measures time. Oh, yeah. And I actually shared that with an athlete of mine who did the same thing. So there's a lot of great stuff in there that's, you know, good conversations pieces that are worth sharing. Um, so I'll be sure to leave you guys with her blog information at the end because it's definitely worth checking out. Okay, so last question. This is the absolute patented Maureen classic first day of school advice. Every kid is going back to school this week and next, and they've all got to hear this. That's why I say on the first day of school every semester. Today, you have a 4.0. You can be an academic All-American. You can be on the AD honor roll. You can be a um, Big East academic award winner. You can be inducted into Chi Alpha Sigma, the Honor Society for Student Athletes. You can be an award winner. You can be on the wall of fame with your GPA. You can be the team leader with your GPA. It's all in front of you. You have it today. Don't lose it. I love it. So with that, we're going to end on that one. So thank you, Maureen, so much for joining us today. You can follow Maureen on Twitter and Instagram. Um, it's at MMLMUA22. And you can also follow her blog on medium.com at Maureen Lewis 342. So I highly suggest you check them out. She posts lots of fun stuff reader blogs. They're well worth the listen. So thanks to our listeners for joining us today on the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search mke sports podcast like follow or comment on today's episode if you have questions comments topics or guest suggestions reach out through that instagram account your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible if you have additional time we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information if you could head over to itunes and leave us a rating and review it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.